Hello, everybody, and welcome to a end of decade, although you can argue mathematically if it's the end of the decade, but the end of the decade, uh, latest shiny. I have a special guest with me today, Mark Thiele, who is here to discuss uh, what we see coming uh, for, for the end of the year uh, and the coming, coming decade in front of us. Mark, how are you doing? Good morning. Hey, good morning, Rob. Uh, thanks for having me on again. Um, I'm doing well. How about you? I, awesome. I am. I am feeling like this is this is an extended um, holiday. This is mid midweek holidays. Uh, always seem to bleed through into uh, the, <laughs> a three week extended uh, holiday season. Yes. Uh, Yes, which 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 is nice, actually refreshing yep, from that perspective. It is. It is. So, you you and I have have had a lot of conversations um, and sort of cautionary tales about the the behemoth of monoculture tech companies, um, which seems to have been the theme from the last five years of the the big getting gigantic um, in in this series. Is that a fair a fair assessment? Is is there anything that on on the road immediately that makes it sound like um, we're not just all going to be Amazon customers for every single thing and Amazon employees? I suppose in twenty thirty. No, I, I you know we have had those conversations and and nothing's really changed uh, since the last time we spoke. Um, uh, in fact, it's funny. I saw um, a post. I didn't get a chance to read the whole post, but I saw a post from somebody from Amazon talking about technically how small their percentage of the retail market actually was in an effort to try to make them not look like they own the world. And um, I, uh, I had trouble resisting uh, firing back, but uh, it was almost Christmas and I decided to hold off on the, uh, on the, there, yeah. Yeah. There was a series of New York times posts uh, articles <laughs> that, um, discussed both the retail chain and the um, Amazon. They did two separate two separate components um, about that. And, and I don't this this is not a uh, the goal of this podcast is not to become a the world is falling. Watch out for monopolies uh, post that that's, you know, actually, I, I have a lot of respect for Amazon and Amazon's business practices and the technology they've built. Um, and so I you know, I, I don't think either of us are, are here to do Amazon bashing. We we actually are big fans of the the ecosystem as a whole that cloud has created, but we also have concerns. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I I don't actually have any you know what would be considered hatred or or latent um, uh, distrust of of people or the brand name of Amazon. Um, uh, it's more just I think from uh, my perspective and, you know, based on our previous conversations that uh, they, you know, Amazon has created a position and Amazon's maybe not the only one across the industry, but certainly Amazon has created a position that allows it to um, kind of almost overnight because of its ecosystem and the way it wields the ecosystem become the owner of, of um, almost any segment that it decides to jump into. 
It's, it's an interesting component. And there's a there's a piece in this of relentless, relentless efficiency. And that was one of the things that stood out to me in the in the Times articles. Um, we have a tendency in the U.S. especially to put efficiency as such, and especially business efficiency, at such a high bar in our thinking that we dehumanize and we, we, we monoculture things on the benefit of saying, well, it's more efficient, more efficient is better, more profitable is better. Um, and I, that, that to me is, is when I look at all this, and actually when I look at technical ecosystems as a whole, we have this tendency to be like, you know, if it's more efficient, it's better. And, and we push efficiency right to that very edge where the systems become fragile. Um, and, and I, you know, I encourage everybody to think through this idea that just making something efficient is not the, should it, one, it should never be the only criteria and it shouldn't necessarily be the highest criteria. Because um, you can, you can efficiency yourself. Um, and I, I know people think I'm going to say out of a job, which in some ways as a technical person is our job, but, but you can efficiency yourself into a very fragile company where you haven't built resiliency. You haven't planned for contingencies. You haven't left the made, made it the people stronger and efficiency and strength are different things. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, um, I agree with that. I don't, and I don't know what the, um, the single best answer is. I don't profess to to know, you know, whether uh, all of my life, uh, a big part of the component of of every IT organization I've been a part of, and in every IT role I've I've tried to influence uh, from an impact on the business standpoint, has been uh, a big part of that has been on building efficiency. You know, being able to do more with less um, as the business grows, and so it's it's hard for me to say that efficiency is bad, but um, I think. The, the the opportunity here maybe for our discussion is to find why or how um, you can look at a business and realize that like, you know, whether it's chasing efficiency, whether it's chasing higher profit, <clears throat> whether it's chasing new markets, whether it's um, uh, 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 an, an unwavering eye at destroying your competition, um, that any one of those things is potentially long-term detrimental to the deal, right? And, and I, I realize the deal sounds like something narrow, but if you look at a deal, uh, I buy, I decide I want to buy some software from you, Rob, and I uh, needle and argue and debate and fight with you about the price of that software to the point where you no longer can be profitable in that arrangement with me. I walk away thinking I got a good deal, but in the big scheme of things, I've created a situation where what could have been a trusted supplier for my long-term benefit has now become weakened because I've taken um, one of the pillars that's so important to their success away from them. And so, I, again, a very narrow focus on this broad conversation. But I, I don't think that's a narrow focus at all. I think one of, right, because one, one of the things I want to do out of this conversation is I want us to talk about what predictions we would be talking about coming true in in as the counter argument for for the hypothesis. It's like it's easy to say Amazon's going to win and they're going to have all this great tech, or big cloud is going to win and and have all this great tech. I want to I want to think through what a world you know what a world would look like where it didn't. And what you just described to me 
is a working open source ecosystem. Because one of the problems we have in open source right now is this, but I don't have to pay. I got a great deal for myself because I got this software for free and I didn't do the thing. I didn't say, oh, wait, I better make sure that I am paying money in to support the, the vendor who is making this open source technology. Um, or I'm going to work around the commercial triggers because I don't want to have to pay for the whatever version of it. Um, and, and so, you know, in, in the open source worlds, one of the things that to me has to change for this to work is we have to have people not blaming the open source vendors or people in open source communities for being bad business people back to the efficiency argument, because they can't monetize something that, that, by de design is not supposed to be forced monetization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that's the, um, the dichotomy. I mean, I, as much as I've been a part of um, open source community off and on for 10 years now, maybe, um, I, um, I've always struggled with you know, those questions, even as a chief strategy officer for Absera most recently, um, before Ericsson bought us. Um, you know, Derek and myself and, and Jan and, and uh, the rest of the uh, leadership team there struggled mightily with the idea of whether or not we should open source the platform or some portion of the platform and what that might look like and how that might change our approach to business, et cetera. And, you know, there isn't an easy answer um, because open sourcing is, in many cases, um, something like a viral video and the success of a video can't be determined ahead of time by someone commanding make a viral video. And so open source is similar. And, you know, if open source takes off and there's enough, there are enough companies or people that want it to where companies like Red Hat or um, Amazon or uh, Mirantis or others can build a business around supporting it, then then in theory that works out well. But I think, you know, if we dive into your point a little bit more, uh, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but if we dive into a little bit more, I would say, you know, first and foremost, the obvious, right? There, there has never been anything that's actually free. So where, where does the cost come from? You could argue in theory that you're getting some form of, um, of community effort in building. And that community, um, in essence, has a team of, of developers that is by virtue one team, but belongs to a hundred companies or a thousand companies. And because they're spread across that, those companies, there aren't, there isn't duplication of effort in all of those companies. And you might be able to successfully argue that in the grand scheme of things, that in and of itself is slightly more efficient, maybe. But again, I would argue that there's still nothing that's free. And in many cases, companies that spend a significant amount of developer time um, are paying significant dollars based on the value of developers into a product or project that they may or may not get that same value from, one. And two, a lot of the projects don't ever amount to anything. Uh, and three, the benefit of having... Um, or the weakness, maybe let's start with the weakness. The weakness of having that community effort is that you don't necessarily have a single uh, focus. And you and I have talked about this a little bit, a, you know, a singular focus on on building towards a direction that's supported by um, a central vision 
um, uh, and, and bought into by a segment of customers um, that like you might with um, a product that is owned by an organization. And so, um, a, you know, I don't think it's an easy answer, but I hope that makes sense. It does. It's interesting to me because one of the things, you know, looking at, say, an OpenStack where our goal was to be the cloud for everybody and to win the cloud, it, you know, and I was in a lot of board meetings where that was that was stated as a mission and argued. And the effect was that you built something that was for, every, you know, tried to solve every problem and didn't, right. didn't, didn't succeed in one. And this is where, right, heterogeneity and a diversity of, of things actually is a great, you know, these monocultures do not serve us particularly well from that perspective. There, there was a, a different point that you had in this open source thing, which is be careful of who the funding is, right? Linux worked really well because there's a lot of companies that, that don't, you know, that need it and would invest in, in the maintaining of it as, you know, oh yeah, this is a community good and treat it as a community good. A lot of open source projects now are, um, you know, being, being, and there was a ridiculous thread about what Kubernetes was and how it emerged out of Oracle. Just set the record straight. It is not their internal software. It is a wholly new thing that they created for their own reasons. Right. Um, based on that architecture and that learning, but not, it's not Google's ejecting their software for reuse. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know why that, why that myth persists. Actually, I do know why it persists. It's useful for the people who, who believe it. Right. Um, but, a lot of you know, a lot of times now we're seeing the you know open source software that is you know potentially set up as a lost leader for, yep. by some of these other companies just to disrupt market. And and one of the dangers of these enormous companies is that they can throw things into market that actually are disruptive to the market, but not sufficient to um, threaten or or not even you know. Or, or complementary to what they do, right? And so right. I, I think we see a degree of, um, I wouldn't call it insincere open source, but we we see because I think the the things are legitimate, but it's 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 problematic. Like I think you know HashiCorp so far has been you know one of the reasons they're very popular is because of their independence because they are multi cloud from that perspective and yeah. they're they're yeah. not platform specific. Ansible also. Um, from a configuration perspective, I know for what we do with RackN, our our independence is valuable, but hard to fund. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, from uh, that perspective. Right. Right. And uh, sorry if I'm cutting you off. I apologize. Um, oh, go ahead. But uh, yeah, I I agree with that, and I you know I see, um, uh, you know, I, I, it's funny. My my I wish my drawing could keep up with what my mind's eye thinks is a good <laughs> picture of. Um, of a situation, you know, from a, from a graphic uh, view standpoint. But, you know, I think of, of something like, even like, uh, you know, whether it's OpenStack or Kubernetes and, um, you know, the, 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 the opportunity, you know, we both talked about OpenStack and we both talked about the issues with how that project went. Uh, the fact that it potentially delayed, um, you know, useful uh, private cloud by three or four years, the fact that it could potentially mm -hmm. singly, singularly uh, singularly, sorry, um, kill private cloud opportunity in in many oper uh, operators or or public cloud opportunity in many operators um, and so on. Uh, and Kubernetes, you know, may or may not go down that road. Let's hope not. But 
what we see from from OpenStack to some degree, although Kubernetes may pick up some of the pieces, is in effect like, um, you know, we find the best what what is perceived or what is mythologized as the best bridge to get across the river. And uh, OpenStack was for the private citizen, the non-giant public company that built their own solution and didn't care about what the rest of the industry was doing, i.e. Google or Amazon or Microsoft or, or AliCloud or whatever, um, was that bridge was uh, OpenStack. And what happens when you know the water gets a little bit too high or the moves a little bit too fast or there's a storm, and the bridge fails out from underneath us, there aren't other bridges. And um, that's right. Yeah, Open, OpenStack, OpenStack had the effect of effectively making every other, and there were, there were and are many yeah. other private cloud alternatives just sort of disappear. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so, and that's, to me, that's one of the, one of the big concerns of this. And, I, and you know, I, uh, I, some people would argue, well, there's an opportunity for standardization and, and you know, this and this and this. Yeah. And I've, I've made that argument for years. I've made that argument since the early days of, of adopting virtualization in, in, you know, the early aughts, um, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact is, uh, today that any two installations of OpenStack are not identical. Um, uh, the fact is, is that, uh, with very few exceptions, no cross company or um, uh, a cross organization Kubernetes installations are identical. Um, and when people build for those environments, they have to manage to the differences. So standardization sounds good in theory, but in practice, it's been less than valuable as a driver for um, some of these projects. Well, let's let's go further and actually, I want to put you know put on this this forward looking hat a little bit and talk about Edge. Yep. Um, both of us are, are everywhere talking about Edge, so I, I'm not going to go through our bona fides. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, you should already know them. But um, I I want to talk about about what has to happen in Edge, though, because this to me is 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 a direct line from what you're saying. Edge is messy. It's going to be messy. It's going to stay messy, right? We're talking about ARM servers and, and new types of servers with variants and GP, things GPU heavy and FPGAs in the middle, right? Edge, edge servers are not going to be a monoculture, here is my whatever thing. Right. Um, it's it's going to be much more, actually, you're saying right. So I, I think we, we both see this. Edge Edge is going to be, Incredibly diverse, heterogeneous environment. ARM, Intel, Risk Five, IoT itself out, outside of the edge infrastructure is is <laughs> ridiculously yep. diverse. Yep. Um, you know, Wild West, crazy, hard to manage, insecure, worse. Yep. Um, that 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 trend line. Either Amazon's going to unify it, and it's all going to be snowballs and standard stuff. Which would be a, the logical place to go. What? How does Edge survive otherwise? How do How do we tame it? Yeah, I, I think um, you know. I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I think I'd be um, uh, declaring myself some sort of god if I thought I knew exactly how to tame it. Um, hmm. I I I think that the very um, opportunity associated with Edge is in many ways dependent on the very diversity that looks like a problem to many people, right? And so 
to me, it's it's the ability to allow people to leverage um, the best technology for the best use case, or you know, is the best match to a specific use case as easy as possible is more uh, in line with how I would see uh, a successful growth of, um, or a more successful growth of edge computing. And, and what that means effectively is that whether I wanna deploy something with WASM, whether I wanna deploy it uh, um, uh, in containers with microservices or functions as a service, or whether I wanna deploy something that is um, individualized uh, infrastructure, uh, uh, in, in operation in a thousand places versus distributed cloud in a thousand places. Um, each of those deployment methods from a, from a, from a code or, you know, a, a designed characteristic standpoint to a compute, to a distribution standpoint, to a network tra traversing standpoint, any one of, or all of those things have specific opportunities to solve, um, business use case. And, what you know and you've talked about this at length in the past mm -hmm. you know i'm very supportive of of the the terminology and the terminology and the language that you've used but you know the the concern i have is that we will we we in one sense by going down the potentially splintered path as you've described it already for edge that we reduce the ability to grow the market as quickly as possible because as we've both talked about, so many of the potential workloads are likely very small from an individualized value standpoint per customer, uh, per user of that service or function. Um, and so it's hard to design infrastructure around just that workload. It needs to be something that's easily shared and, 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 and heterogeneous, et cetera, et cetera. So that's potentially problematic, but it's also problematic to think that we end up with you know, three or four solutions that, you know, five solutions that are global um, uh, or one in the case of maybe Amazon. Um, and it's a one size fits all for all workloads. And that could have as bad or worse an effect on our opportunity to grow if every single workload that goes out to the edge has to fit into the, the um, cost structure and, you know, total cost of ownership structure that is put out by, uh, you know, an outpost or an Azure stack. Uh, so you, you, you got to exactly the thing I was going to bring up, which is outposts. Yeah. Um, and, and to me, what you were just saying is one of these, these strange efficiency balances, yeah. because the, the, the challenge that, that you're bringing up is operability to me, right? Sometimes yeah. you and I have had conversations discussing this as, as like OX, yeah. um, you know, is, is the operational experience, which is hideously neglected yep. <laughs> in, in all the, in all these, all these systems. And we, in, in rushing things to market or trying to make things go, we overlook the operational experience. And this is what, to me, the, the, the thing that you need to realize that Amazon is mastered. And I say Amazon more than Microsoft or Google, because I think they're still playing catch up is this operational experience, or at least this, this notion that ops is too hard for people to invest in right and so what they've done is they've basically taken over the control plane of everybody's data centers and outposts where you don't actually own the control plane at all it's, it's infrastructure that you don't own 
that you've paid for though, sitting in your data center, managed by Amazon on the idea that that their ability to manage the control plane and deal with operational issues um, is so much superior to what you can do. Um, that to me is where this is falling down, right? We have we have not invested as an industry in fixing the operational challenge for running IT infrastructure, and instead yeah. we're just outsourcing that, and that is making us incredibly vulnerable. It's right. it's like you know giving up being able to maintain anything you own, and and we're super used to doing this as an industry, right? We've done it with Apple. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like oh yeah, I love the simplicity. I like the ease of use. I like how you know, the stuff just works and it's all tied together. And, and that is great. I mean, there's huge value for that. Um, but it also makes us incredibly vulnerable to, um, to the, an industry that says, oh, I don't need to, you know, I'd rather sell you a new phone than make batteries replaceable. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's go ahead. No, I was just going to say, sorry. Uh, I mean, I, so I agree with everything you said. And, and I, I would say that, you know, we, we run into a, the difficult dilemma, which is, I guess, two, two questions or two points. Um, and the first one is, uh, should we fear that, right? Uh, should we fear the idea that Amazon uh, is just assumed to be able to do, you know, or Google or Microsoft or whatever, uh, they all do it way better than the average enterprise does today. There's no, there's hard, it's hard to argue that point. They uh, invest in it. Yeah. They invest in doing it. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, you know, is it, is it, is that a stupid argument to even debate whether or not that's an opportunity for the end user? And, and I would say that I don't know for sure what the answer is to that, but my gut tells me, my, my personal experience tells me that um, IT is, and you know, I first made this um, quote um, <laughs> when Joe Weinman asked me for some comments for his first uh, uh, cloud book. And um, uh I, I think it still applies even with the dominance of companies like Amazon and Microsoft and Google. And that's, you know, that IT, or, or I should say the technology landscape is when put into the hands of people, very much like a painter's palette, right? And so mm -hmm. let's, I uh, apologize if I've bored you with this analogy already, but if you, <laughs> you know, if you, if you take a painter's palette and all the things that go along with being a painter and needing a palette uh, is you have brushes and you have paint, you have atmosphere, you have lighting, you have the type of canvas you might use or paper, mm -hmm. whether or not you use latex paints or oil-based paints, um, whether you do dab painting or brush stroke painting or some combination of the above, or you throw balloons at a wall there, you know, uh, use, you use wide bristle brushes or, or narrow bristle brushes or, you know, <laughs> or, or you, or you get on a trapeze, fly through the air and splat against the canvas right. yourself. That's right. You know, there, there are a million different ways to create art. And, and so the, the reason I bring that up is that superficially we could look and say, well, there, there are PCs, there are network connections, there are operating systems, there are coding languages, there are APIs, there are containers, there are VMs, there are, CPUs, etc. So, what's the difference? Well, the difference it's an is over overwhelming, overwhelming palette. Yeah. That's right. It's an overwhelming palette. The palette is at least as complex in total opportunity for variance as an artist's palette is. At least as complex in in there uh, the mathematics for determining how you could get to any number of solutions are way beyond my limited skill set from a math standpoint. Uh, and so when I when I look at that and realize that 
you give uh, the same IT solution to any 10 people and you give them the appropriate tools and, and opportunities to make something out of it. And every one of them are going to make something different. And yes, some of them are going to fail. But like the startup world itself, which are in essence, IT teams with a project, some of them fail and some of them make it. When they make it, the potential opportunity for the business is enormous, I think. And as I've believed this for 15 years, and I believe it as much now as I did 15 years ago, that we run a real risk as, as an, an industry, not as an IT industry, but as an industry of companies, as a, as a, as a ecosystem, a global ecosystem of companies. We run a real risk of limiting our own opportunity if we give up too much of that and assume that other people should own it. And you've, this is, this to me is one of the arguments for why open source is important. Um, why something like Kubernetes is important as a base, as a base layer. And this, this is, this to me is, is where there's a paradox in what we're saying, because something like having Kubernetes as an independent open thing allows the industry to collaborate and move more quickly in advance, but it also creates a very monochromatic, um, industry where everybody's like, oh, we're just using Kubernetes. And I, I feel like our industry has a tendency to go through these cycles where, you know, oh, Amazon set this new pattern for how IT works. Um, and it was Amazon. Again, I'm, I'm sounding like an Amazon fanboy as much as we're sounding cautionary <laughs> tales. Um, but, but right, they were like API-driven compute and this cloud-native infrastructure was defined in a lot of ways by what Amazon offered. Yeah. Yep. Um, from that perspective. Um, and then, the, you know, and, and Microsoft and Google have, have, you know, clearly picked it up, but it was, it was de defined, I, you know, it was redefined. Um, and I think the same thing's happening with Kubernetes. I don't think it means that that's going to become the only thing that gets done. It's just going to set a, a, a pattern that people can then follow. Yeah. Um, but you're right that this, the, this paint by numbers analogy is very troubling, right? It can, it, it can speed innovation for a point, but then, but then we're going to can speed innovation to a point, but then we're going to span back out right. uh, really quickly into um, new opportunities. I, I'm, there's yeah. so much more to talk about when we're, we're getting close to running out of time I know. on this. I, I think that, you know, from, from a operational perspective, you know, my caution here going into the next decade is don't assume that you know you're you're going to um, just give up op all the operational pieces. I think these these companies that are decided, oh, I'm just going to go all in on on this one API and this one company, um, they're going to enjoy some efficiency. Yep, there's no doubt about it. Um, but I think that their company becomes very fragile. Yeah. Um, from that perspective, and, and you, you and I have had conversations. I, I, I'm not sure on the show, well, even on the show about you know what happens with like ride sharing companies where where you're just you know using using people in their cars and not figuring out the long term sustainability for this. I, I think you know understanding your supply your your supply chain is an important thing, right? There's yeah. when people look at that, there's things you give up. And there's things that you keep or understand. Right. Um, right. And I, and I, I think, I think that one of the core issues, Rob, you know, if, if we think beyond kind of the, the technical aspects of, of 
being smarter about how you might own some infrastructure for certain workloads or for certain environments or or because you can own a certain type of um, uh, functionality and capability uh, at, a, at a cost that's relatively speaking comparable, whether or not it's in theory core to your business. All of those things are, for most people, you know, can, you can see a horizon for good, bad, or otherwise relative to that effort or participation. Um, and the hard part, I think, as an industry, as people, the hard part, which might be an interesting podcast all by itself, is how do we get away from this notion of, oh, what do you mean? It's a giant orange uh, and I'm only taking a couple of sips right now. I can sip on this hmm. for years before I realize that the orange is out of juice. And and that's to me, you know, to the, to the point you brought up about our conversations around companies like Lyft and Uber, et cetera, DoorDash, whatever, is that it is a giant orange and nobody's going to care Nobody's going to look back at the CEO of those companies and say, what horrible, you know, uh, dehumanizing um, creatures you were by creating this new um, portion of the underclass that has failed in their ability to, to, to see a future coming and to be prepared for that future and to enable themselves to, to benefit from that future because they've been, um, you know, fed the juice, uh, just enough juice out of that orange to keep them alive long enough for the company to profit um, uh, and leave them there like um, like wilted husks of their former. <laughs> and and, and if, if you think that, that Mark and I are moralizing um, and you've gotten to this point in the podcast, let me let me give you an analogy and, and just to, to think this through, because this is funny because our, our 2020 um, forward-looking podcast, you know, which which I wanted to be a cautionary tale on on the coming decade, um, which I think we've we've kept very high level, not not down on specific tech. But but here's the thing to think about with this, because it's sort of like you know, water seeks a level, yep, um, and there, it hides, you know, and, and and the classic analogy of rocks are hidden below. But what what happens in a case like in a case that we're describing is when you pull out of um, one part of, a, of an ecosystem too much or overdraw on it, the, the ecosystem rebalances itself really quickly. Yep. And you might never see that it's out of balance because the, 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 the thing that you're, you're using is, you know, you don't, you don't care about it or it's been rebalanced, right? Oh, you know, the, these, all these startups died because Amazon competed with them, but it's fine. There's a whole bunch of new startups coming in. But the new startups coming in are coming in different industries or they've been changed by the fact that, you know, that that whole addressable market is gone or right. there's even more VC markets, you know, money coming in than ever. But it's wait, it's going to a smaller and smaller set of companies that, that are very unicorn focused in these areas. Um, and so one of the things I think that happens is that it's easy to say, oh, that's not really a problem because whatever compensating thing is happening. But over overall, you can actually watch, you know, whole industries being changed and, you know, healthy diversity going away. I, the same thing happens in crops when you when you don't when you have a monoculture in your crops and all of a sudden you've lost all the supporting ecosystems and the whole thing collapses overnight. Yep. Um, things, you know, uh, and, and I we are we are doing this in our technology space. Um, 
um, you, you, you and I have talked about this. And the funny thing is, I think edge is actually an opportunity for us to rebalance that because I think the edge will be more heterogeneous. Um, but somebody like Amazon is going to walk in and say, oh, don't worry, I got this. You, you're used to using, you know, cloud, we're going to give you an outpost. And now you've, you've, you know, just, you're just using cloud, but on premises. Right. Right. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, and, it's a tough one. And, and I, I, you know, obviously we don't have all the answers, but, um, no. I hope that, uh, we can at least spark some, some thinking in the, in whoever is listening, um, and, and maybe more debate because we don't have all the answers. And so getting that debate out there would be great. <laughs> Uh, as much for me and, and for you, I'm assuming, as it is for those who might be listening and, and interpreting this, you know, good, bad or otherwise. But um, I, I, I and, and I, I would turn turn that into an open invitation to tell us how wrong we are. Yes, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Mark, Mark and I thrive on this. Yep. Um, you know, shout at us on Twitter, shout out to come on the podcast and tell me how absolutely wrong uh, we are in this assessment. Um, we would love to hear. That's actually Mark. Do you want to you want to help close us down and 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 take the show out? Yeah, no. I, and, uh, I, I'll, 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 I'll do a last word. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks again for having me on, Rob. And and you know this is, um, uh, and I realize this sounds trite, but the very reason I am interested in having this kind of conversation with Rob and and to a larger extent uh, have many conversations like this with the the Twitterverse and others in the industry on an almost weekly basis is because I actually love the industry. Um, and I love what the opportunity for a long time. That's what it said on my uh, LinkedIn. Maybe it still does. I don't know. But I mean, I love the opportunity represented by technology to further the cause of your business. And, um, and I love being able to be a part of that. And so saying that, um, the reason I say that is just to, to, to give, you, the audience, uh, uh, maybe a better understanding of what would get me into this conversation in the first place. And, and realistically, uh, I believe one of my epiphanies in the IT space was learning to think about what I was delivering for the business from a systems point of view. And no, not just the systems like I use Ruby on this and on that. I mean, the systems like I have a data center and the data center actually cares in, in, a, in its operation. It cares how you distribute the power. It cares what size the door is and whether or not you have raised floor and what color the paint is on the roof. All of those things matter, but they don't matter if they're not taken in consideration with the type of business that your company's in. And, and as a consequence, the type of applications and infrastructure that end up in that data center. So anyway, I could go on and on, but that's the system. And what Rob and I are talking about here, uh, without speaking too much for Rob here, is how do we help protect that system? How do we help maintain its vitality and its health so that all of us can benefit from this? And we don't end up 10 years from now or 15 years from now looking back going, how did we allow the IT industry to become the power industry that we struggle with today. Very well said. Mark, how do people uh, interact with you on Twitter to be part of these amazing conversations that you've been sparking? Yeah, I mean, you could reach out to me in any number of ways on Twitter. Uh, ask me a question, demand I provide an answer to one of my stupid ideas <laughs> um, or any combination of the above, but you can find me at M-T-H-I-E-L-E-1-0. 
on Twitter. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. I occasionally drop things on LinkedIn as well for conversation there. Um, uh, and I have a few blogs there, although I haven't blogged in the last couple of months. Um, but I love the conversation. Uh, I love learning. And I love, uh, as Rob's already pointed out, like him, I love um, uh, you know debating the issue uh, for personal growth. That's how we get smarter. It's why we like doing the latest shiny to talk through, you know, how things are made and uh, how they how they can work and how they cannot work too. So I hope this podcast was was helpful, Mark. Thank you so much. Um, you are an amazing guest for us, um, and our conversations are always profound. Uh, and I hope everybody got thinking about it. Maybe had a couple of shout at your radio moments, or step back and and like, oh, that's 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 a problem. I need to think about that more uh, type of things. Uh, we will keep doing, I, I think I have one more end of year, more tech uh, end of year, coming year type discussion. And so please stay tuned for that. Until then, Mark, happy new year. Same. Happy new year to you and, and uh, happy new year to anyone that's listening. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Mark.